Welcome to the Embellish Podcast, where we like to talk about stories. We like to explore how embellishment makes a story better, how it allows us to connect more deeply with both the person telling the story and the subject of the story. Together, we will explore people, products, and places that have a story to tell. We'll navigate through the truths, half-truths, and outright lies and decide if the truthiness even matters. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining me again tonight. We've got another stream set up. We'll do a little bit of pre-show talking. I just left a uh, stream pre-game, effectively uh, watching the Allen Bishop Day celebration over at Bourbon Turntable. Uh, you get an opportunity, follow the link over there. I'll put a link in my description uh, tonight on this video. Absolutely hop over there, watch the videos that those guys have. They're fantastic. It's music and it's whiskey. How can you go wrong? Um, in celebration of Alan Bishop Day, which is one of the things they're talking about, I am drinking a little bit of the William Dalton weeded bourbon that Alan makes over at French Lick. Had an opportunity to visit them while I was in French Lick a couple weeks ago. Uh, fantastic facility. I wasn't able to stay very long. Had a lot of other stuff going on, obviously. Um, what I really enjoy about this one, it is a weeded bourbon, so it has you know a softer profile than what maybe some of you are or are not used to. Um, you know, but it's got some great flavors in there, some caramel, some oak, and some light chocolate, maybe some dusty chocolate. And then uh, um, it's got a lot of the spicy or, or baking spicy uh, flavors that you might expect. And then it finishes with like this really nice dark chocolate bitter finish for me. Um, other pre, uh, pre-roll, pre-show news, um, up to eight subscribers on YouTube without any type of advertising. And I've had over four hours of watch time. So that's super exciting. Thank you guys for doing that. Um, still a little tired. This weekend was one of, uh, the more taxing weekends I've had, um, in a long time. It's probably since I had babies around. I mentioned on last week's stream, I was invited to drive a van for a Ragnar relay race. It's called the Bourbon Chase. It's around Bardstown area. It actually started in Bardstown and it ran uh, all the way to Lexington. It went through Danville, a couple other smaller towns up near Frankfurt, came back down to Lexington. Um, obviously, I am not the person that they called to run the relay. I was just there to drive a van. But it was a super fun experience. But it's, you know, something like 200 miles in 36 hours. And... Uh, Man, that was that was a it was it was it was a whirlwind. And we started off at Bardstown Bourbon Company. They opened the doors for everybody, you know, starting around five a.m. and ran through most of the day. We were able to stop off at Wilderness Trail and Woodford Reserve and see all the scenic hills and all of the beautiful spots. You know, I had the opportunity to sleep like I don't know something like two or three hours in the course of uh, about thirty six hours. Um, super exhausting, but it was worth it. The team had a good time. I had a good time. I was able to take some folks from other parts of the country through our wonderful bourbon country, um, see the rolling hills, see the horse farms, see the distilleries and see the culture. And most all of the towns were super open and welcoming. Um, and you got to think there's, you know, something like 400 teams with 12 people on each team that are runners. If they don't have the two van drivers as well. So you're looking at, you know, thousands of people kind of mobbing into some of these smaller towns and they're still wide open um, and excited that people are there. Um, once the race was over, you know, we, you know, 
had dinner. Everybody did all the things that they were supposed to do. Had to haul some folks back to Bargetown to pick up their vehicles because, you know, it, it's a relay race, but it wasn't a circle. So it started, like I said, it started in Bargetown and it finished in Lexington. So I had to bring some people back to cars. Took the opportunity to go to uh, stay the night in Louisville because there was absolutely no way I was driving the four-hour drive back home. Then I went by Evergreen uh, Liquors in Nulu. And if you guys have an opportunity, if you're in Louisville, absolutely stop by. Um, I obviously went there to meet up with my friend, my friend Tim, and uh, just kind of chit chat with him. But had an opportunity to drink some fantastic bourbon and rye, uh, for that matter. And it's a great liquor store slash bar spot. Um, it's in Nulu. I've you know been there a handful of times. You know, been there before it was called Nulu, um, but it's really kind of a an opportunity for a, a village to grow up and be something. Um, what else do I have? Let me think last weekend, last Sunday, I missed it. You know, I was driving back Sunday after, um, I, you know, I went by evergreen liquors, didn't get there until like 11 o'clock stayed until midnight. Um, then I crashed out. I laid down in bed and I didn't move for like seven hours. So I got up in the morning to make the drive back here. And my friends over at Chill Filtered were doing their um, drink along. The They have an opportunity for their Patreons or for anyone to join them and um, have, a, have a drink with them and just kind of interact in a YouTube live fashion. Those guys are fantastic. I'll put a link in the bio for, or not the, the bio, the bio is Instagram. Put a link in the video description here and we'll um, have that available. Hop over, watch the video, watch any other videos. Um, they'll probably be doing more of those things. If you subscribe and you sign up for notifications, you'll be able to see when they're going to do stuff like that. So absolutely sign up for it. Um, this week was around Stellum Bourbon. The last one was Stellum Rye. I think the next time they're going to be doing, uh, I think, Elijah, Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. It's like once a month. Um, let me think what else. Uh, coming up, I've got a friend who wrote a book. Actually, he wrote two books, and he's about to release his third book. Going to a um, celebration slash book release party in november it's going to be super fun um i'm going to put a link in the description here for that so this one's going to be chock full of links um if you get a chance go out and you know buy a copy of the book and, and read it it's great to uh, support small authors um i'm all about storytelling and he does a pretty daggum good job for someone who um has never written a book before his his freshman release was good his sophomore release is good i expect nothing but greatness out of the last one as well and this will be the completion of a of a trilogy so if you can hop over and, and have a look at that um maybe the last bit of business repeal day expo is coming up in december uh i attended it last year um, i had started my um Instagram page for this account, but I hadn't done anything as far as podcasts related. So I wasn't able to give a few, you know, any feedback around it. Um, it was a, it's a virtual experience and what they call Deggy world. It's a program that you can go and interact with some people and you'll see folks like ADHD whiskey and, um, you know, Fred Minnick and some of those folks, but you'll also see, um, my friend Jack from Hood Sommelier and, and several other people. So it's a fantastic opportunity to mill around people in a virtual world, um, see some symposiums, see some discussions all from the comfort of your home. Um, I think tickets are 25 bucks for normal attendance and it's like two days worth of symposium stuff or $50 for a VIP ticket. Um, it's a It was a fun experience last year and I suspect that this year will be even more so. Um, we'll come back to... If you want an opportunity to join me, I'm doing these things through um, 
I'm doing them through uh, OBS Ninja right now, which means I can send you a link and you can join me uh, for any one of these episodes, or we could pick one of the ones from the past and I could uh, have someone you know, courier you some samples from those episodes and we can drink through them and talk about flavors and sort of revisit the episode that as it was then. So if you're interested in doing that, leave a comment here. Send me a message. Go to my website. Go to Instagram. Go to somewhere and, and let me know. Um, that'll cover all of our um, early on stuff, I guess. Uh, our our pre-show watch. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hop over and make sure we're actually live and streaming. That I'm not just talking into the wind by myself. Uh, so give me just a second. Perfect. It does look like we are live. Um, and awesome. All right. So today we're going to talk about water. Um, and this one will fall underneath the uh, foundations of distilling playlist that I've created where we've talked about barrels, we've talked about mash bills, we've talked about stills, we've talked about a lot of different things. And we've talked about grain, whatever else. I sort of left this one for last because water is one of those things that whiskey people can get uh, wrapped up on, uh, whether or not it is uh, an important thing. Um, and obviously it is, you know, on the... Um, on the bottom end of whiskey, right, we are looking at, you know, 80 proof is 40% by volume alcohol, meaning the other 60% is water. So water has a large impact. Water is essential for creating mash bills, for cooling the distillate, for cutting the, the final distillate as it comes off the still, maybe as it goes into the barrel, whatever else. So there's, like I said, there's three places. There's, you know, we'll talk about three places. There's water going into the mash, water going into cooling the distillate and, and cutting the final product, whether it be distillate or barrel, barrel leavings. Um, so we'll start with, we'll start with in the mash, you know, is, is water important for that? Is limestone water important for that? And so limestone is the, the big lore that we like to, to talk about here in Kentucky. And we have, you know, this wonderful limestone water creates fantastic whiskey. Um, if you go over to Heaven Hill's website, and I know they're embroiled in some controversy right now, but there is a great infographic all over the, over there around limestone that um, talks about a lot of this. But limestone water is the product of a natural filtering process. Basically, you know, rainwater filters through the ground, through um, subterranean rivers. You know, it goes through uh, sedimentary rock shelves and, and all of these things to basically create a natural filtration system. But while it's filtering through that, it's it's carrying along with it minerals. Um, and until I started looking into this, I wasn't really aware of the necessity of minerals in the, the fermentation process. Um, there are certain minerals that are consumed by yeast to create flavor profiles, to create unique um, tastes, whatever, um, you know, think about, you know, phosphate, potassium, calcium, magnesium, and a host of other things that can come along with this type of groundwater. Now the, you know, the, the people who were originally making whiskey here in Kentucky probably had no idea. They just used what water was available to them. And what came out the other end was uh, potentially a superior product. You know, we live in a modern world where you can now, uh, supplement, 
any kind of water to carry those things with them. But the natural existence of um, the water here in Kentucky to contain those things is, is pretty important. Um, one of the other things that limestone water has the benefit of is because of the filtration process that it goes through, it has had iron removed from it and iron has this this ability to interact with some of the components within oak um, to discolor bourbon to make it a black color um, whether it adds any flavor or not i mean uh, if you've ever drank high iron water um, you'll you'll notice that there's some degree of discolor discoloration but there will also um, be a, a weird a weird flavor to it and so would that have an impact to the final distilled product uh, in the mash? Maybe, maybe not. It really depends on how the distillation process process impacts iron within water. Um, obviously, it's important in the mash for yeast conversion, but what does it do to, you know, yeast conversion then? Or is it really about um, discoloring whatever is in the barrel itself? Um, and then there's this, this second facet around water that is, you know, you need to cool down the, the distillate as it comes out of the barrel. And you know, we talked about distillation process. It comes out of um, the, the distillation tub. It goes through potentially a thumper, and then it comes through a condenser, and the condenser is going to be cooled by some type of a water. Um, and I hadn't really given it any thought. This is another one of those things that I hadn't considered uh, highly. But the water that distillers use to cool actually is relatively important, um, you know, and, and some of the, the physical aspects in the water can be important to the distillery. Um, obviously, anything that has any type of uh, minerals or whatever else it, that can build up in lines over time. And so, you know, it can restrict the flow, which you know, if you restrict the flow of water, now you're not cooling as quickly uh, or as efficiently as you're interested in doing. And now you create problems and, you know, largely, you know, publicly available municipal water is perfectly fine for this process because it's going to have those items removed from it. It's not going to create any of those types of problems. Uh, problems. Um, then you start thinking, okay, well, you know, if I don't want to consume, you know, have a significant water bill because you're using you know, municipal municipal water, you're having to pay for it. Um, do you want to draw it out of your well? Well, if you draw it out of your well, you might be getting minerals. So how do you get rid of that? Well, you've got a distillation process on site and distilled water. Um, I learned a lot about distilled water whenever I had children because anytime we wanted to make a bottle with a formula, we tried to use distilled water because it would be, you know, the most free of anything because we were on a municipal water type system. That's just good. Good job, Alan Bishop. Um, but what I learned also is that distilled water should never be used for cooling down in this particular process. Um, distilled water is hungry for ions and that means that it can remove some electrons from a cooling system um, chemically speaking and now you're talking about potential damage to the equipment equipment that you're using to cool and so pure clean water uh, which sounds really sort of interesting or ridiculous but pure clean water could have a negative impact on the cooling of your distillate as you're trying to to get it prepared to enter into the barrel and so you know water was important for the mash you know specifically limestone type water um, was important for the mash because it contained those minerals um, water for cooling down the distillate was a different type of water obviously we don't want to attempt to use limestone water for this um, 
So municipal water is important here. And then the last one is, you know, for cutting the barrel, right? Um, and, and cutting the barrel, meaning as you're coming out of a barrel, you could be at 140 or 150 proof, but you're interested in going into the bottle at 90 proof. You have to cut that down. Uh, and this is where limestone water is no longer at play. Like you're, you're, you're not interested in having limestone water and you definitely don't want municipal water that might be chlorinated or any other thing that might introduce flavors or off profiles to the bottle itself. And so most distilleries, while I was at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, I was able to uh, watch Pat Heist speak and he was talking about, um, you know, he's talking about water briefly. It was not the primary concern of one of the things he was discussing, but he was talking about everyone is using some type of uh, reverse osmosis water or some type of a water filtration that is going to put water across the membrane to potentially remove particulate from it. And the particulate, hey, you know, is is going to be, you know, super, super small that they're trying to remove from it because um, you're trying to get to where there is absolutely nothing in that water besides water because you want to just cut it. You don't want to impact the flavor. Now, obviously, cutting the whiskey itself is going to impact the flavor because you're decreasing the proof. And so, you know, your fatty acid esters, your other, you know, products that are inside of that can can appear differently or taste differently based off of proof but you don't want to introduce new things into the flavor profile because you know your distiller has spent a lot of time crafting up what their mash bill should be crafting up what their yeast that they should use and what is the mineral content and how is that converting and they're coming out of the the, the mash with something that they feel is superior and they're going into their distillation process which is you know potentially expensive equipment now you're getting down to the final bit of you've aged it, you've got all the way to the end. If you introduce bad flavors now, there's literally nothing you can do besides um, sell it as a bottom shelf bourbon or toss it out. So they use reverse osmosis water here. Um, it has to be purified. It has to be purified through this or deionization. All the things have to be out of it. Um, the 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 concept is that anything that is left behind if there's you know any iron now we're talking about the whiskey can still turn black if you added new water and there's iron in it the whiskey's going to turn black uh, it might turn bitter it might turn any other uh, it might impact it negatively any other way uh, create haziness create uh, just off-putting values so we talk about is the limestone water important historically absolutely it was important for mashing historically was it important for cooling down no was it important for cutting the whiskey it's obviously that that's what they used in the past but um they don't use it now uh, and, and you can think of a lot of reasons why you know the water quality coming out of a spring might not be high enough to pass immediate consumption uh, but the fact that the water is coming through a distillation process earlier in earlier steps, maybe it is at an acceptable range there. Uh, maybe it has, you know, products in there that you don't want. You know, the original distillers didn't have the ability to understand this from a scientific principle. They just knew how to do the things. Um, and so water, water can be important. Like I said, we're cutting. Now, one of the interesting things that I came across whenever I was looking into, you know, water and how it plays a role in the distillation process, um, and and it's it's no surprise that it comes from a mind like Nancy Fraley is is this concept of slow water reduction, 
um, that Still Austin use. And so if you don't know what Still, Still Austin is, it's, there's a distillery in Austin, Texas that creates, you know, bourbons and a number of other things. I believe they've got some single malt. They've got some cask strength stuff, some gins and whatnot. But they're creating whiskey and they're using this this concept of slow water reduction. And when I read it, I was like, I don't I don't even understand what that means. Um, but basically. In Texas, uh, one of the things that Texas has been kind of known for is hyperaging. Hyperaging probably is not the right term for what happens there. I mean, it's just different aging. It's not that they're aging any faster. It's not that anything's you know anything is being sped up. It's that they age differently because of the severe temperature exchange that occurs in Texas. Um, the coloration that you would see on a whiskey in Kentucky after seven years is probably occurring there in two or three years. But the flavor profile is different between a three-year and a seven-year, right? So, so how they've moved in and out of the barrel is very, 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 very different. And so um, not necessarily to combat that, but to be able to allow for a longer aging time frame, there's this idea of slow water reduction. The idea of slow water redu reduction is, is that once or twice a month, the distillery will unstack a barrel or all of their barrels effectively open them and test the proof of each one. And what they're doing is they're trying to get where the proof is right now. And then they're going to add water to proof it down to where they want it to be. And so they're trying to maybe uh, pull out some of the color to give it a little more time in the barrel, because um, if you get down to, you know, half of a barrel, the aging impact is even more significant, uh, especially in these high heat temperature concepts. So there's more, know liquid to wood interaction and so they're proofing it back down again and then they're retesting the proof putting it back up and, and continuing that um, what they found is that this labor-intensive process creates a significant difference between one that has the slow water reduction and one that does not have slow water reduction. And so for them, while they may not be using, you know, Kentucky limestone water, um, they're, they're showing a high degree of importance in water and how it interacts with this. They're, they're, they're creating this situation where maybe they're trying to mitigate Texas weather patterns and evaporation, and they're trying to allow for a longer um, time in the barrel and a less severe of an impact of the heat and allowing the the distillate to interact with the wood on a longer period of time. So those are kind of the, you know, few things that I wanted to talk about around water, water and how it interacts with it. So we'll double back to is water important to whiskey? Absolutely. Is water important to you? I know my friends over the Chill Filter podcast, they really like their Kentucky limestone water for whenever they do their water addition to whatever it is that they're tasting on any given week and they'll do a neat pour a water pour and an ice pour um do you need it for do you need limestone water specifically for addition to your whiskey well based off of the concepts that we've talked about so far probably not but why not like if you enjoy it you know the, i had a really interesting uh, interaction with some some friends on social media on monday night uh, where you know we were talking about uh, who cares how anyone enjoys their whiskey? Just let them enjoy it. Whatever, whatever it is that is their thing they're after, go for it. So is it a necessity? No. Is it something you can do? Absolutely. And there's a whole market around it. Uh, go out there and give it a shot. 
Um, is that what distilleries are doing? Likely not. They're likely using, like I said, this reverse osmosis or deionized water as what they're using to cut their proof down. So if you're trying to mimic what a distillery specifically is doing, that's probably the way to go is using some type of a re reverse osmosis or deionized water. Where do you get those things? have absolutely no idea. But that's one way to do it. Do we still need limestone water for distillation? Um, no, I, I, I don't think that we need it. I think that it makes for a great story. I think that it's something that we'll continue to do. And I think it is slightly easier. But if you can, you know, we have the ability to test water and know what it is lacking. And we have the ability to add it. And one of those things that I came across in looking at this is that these uh, there's these yeast nutrient packets that you can purchase for if you're doing any distillation at home. Um, you know, we, or if you're doing any fermenting at home, I guess, not necessarily distillation. We, you know, my, my wife and I decided this year, we're going to take some of our apples. We're going to convert it into apple cider. So we got a, um, yeast kit and the yeast kit came with some yeast nutrient. And inside that there are minerals. There are the things that the yeast wants and needs to consume to be more efficient at its alcohol conversion. And so limestone, limestone water enables that, but it's not ne necessary. And we're seeing that as people are creating whiskeys all over the United States that may not have access to uh, limestone water and what other distilleries are doing. Um, but does it give it any unique flavors? Probably. Um, but if you look at distillers like old forester and and i guess maybe woodford but um, you know in the brown foreman family they're largely using water from municipal systems to create their mash and to be able to process it through and so they've 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 discovered that they can put out and you know i, I would put an old forester 100 proof and a blind up against just about anything and you'll find that it performs really really well and that's using just regular old municipal water as a part of its mashing process um, is that what they're using to cut with significantly doubt it based off of you know the information of uh, what many would consider to be uh, you know uh, one of the greatest minds in whiskey uh, from from dr pat heist but at the end of the day limestone water is a tradition within kentucky bourbon um, and, a, and, and this spirit is, is nothing if it's not traditional. And so we'll continue down the path of thinking, you know, limestone water is, is good and essential. Uh, it's not necessarily essential, you know, based off of what I found, it's not necessarily essential. It is valuable. Um, it is, is an enabler, but it is not a thing that is required. Um, so that's all I've got for tonight. Now, this one's going to be relatively short. I mean, we'll, we'll probably hit right at 30 minutes. I appreciate anybody who stops by and watches it. Like I said, you know, eight subscribers, four hours worth of watch time. It's super appreciated. Um, seeing more people show up, uh, and download the podcast. You know, I, I convert these into an audio format now and load them. Um, I've got a couple more episodes, uh, that I've put together that I want to do. Uh, hopefully we can get to the new year and after the new year, I can uh, get a few folks to come on and join me, maybe do some interviews, something along that lines. Um, thanks for watching and listening. Obviously, um, if you are on YouTube, if you're anywhere, hit a thumbs up, share, like, rate, do whatever it is that lets people know that this is valuable. Um, more than anything, I'm not looking for this to ever be a, a giant uh, offering, but I do see value in seeing people say, Hey, I'm actually enjoying this. I'm liking watching it and whatever. Um, also in the description for tonight's episode, I'm going to have the links to a lot of things. Like I said, I'll have 
links to my friend's book, links to the Chill Filtered podcast on YouTube, um, links to Evergreen, which is the the liquor store in Louisville. If you have an opportunity to visit, absolutely do because they have a fantastic bar as well. Um, I'll mention while I was there, I was able to try some you know Michter's Straight Right Ten Year. Um, they have you know all of the pappies you could ever want, obviously. Um, but there's also a host of really fantastic single barrel offerings that they have selected there as well. Um, Peel Day Expo, uh, whatever else. Um, like I said, thanks anybody for joining, and that's all we've got for tonight. Thanks for listening to the Embellish Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe. Check out our website at embellishpod.com and follow us on social media at Instagram and Twitter to keep up with what we have going on. If you have an idea about a story we should talk about, send it to us at embellishpod at gmail.com. And remember, whether famous or infamous, a good story mixed with a touch of embellishment makes the food you ate, the drink you drank, and the places you visited just a little more memorable.